This is Coors Light's Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, G, U corner, half back, flat, on two, ready, right. Blue 42 is brought to you by Frost Brewed Coors Light. The mountains turn blue at 42 degrees. Blue 42. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Michael Bubbis. How are you now? Good morning, fellas. I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Not so bad. Let's take a look, Bump, at the Seattle Seahawks. We know that there's going to be continuity going into next year on the offensive line, both with the starters outside of Gabe Jackson and with the backups now that they brought back Jordan Simmons and Cedric Abuihi. Is there another area on this team where the Seahawks should be better thanks to continuity in 2021? Man, that's a good question. Um Due to continuity, I would say just that receiver group, right? You got 2,000-yard receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So you've got guys who can lead the charge. You have Freddie Swain coming back who's been in the building for a while. And then you have Russell Wilson. I mean, he has two guys that he automatically trusts, two guys who can lead the charge. And those guys have worked with Freddie Swain and maybe even John Ursua. So if there's a close group, you would think it's that receiver group, right? These guys lit the league up the first seven, eight weeks of the season in 2020 so they know that there's some chemistry right there the thing that that's kind of tricky about that group is that you never hear about Tyler Lockett working out with Russell Wilson right it's always DK I've seen John or Sua but it's not Tyler Lockett but they found a way to make it work I think chemistry is huge especially in the past game you got to trust that your receivers are going to be where they're supposed to be and the receivers have to trust that Russ is going to drop some dimes so if there's a close group some continuity you got to look at that receiver group in Russell Wilson Tyler has been a devastatingly efficient deep threat. He's been great. He's also had minor like minor knee injuries, not things that have kept him out of games. Do, do you get the sense that the past two seasons there have been points when he's been physically limited and that's hurt Seattle's offense? Yeah. I, I, what game was that he got hurt? I want to say it was the Arizona game or the 49ers game. All I remember is red jerseys, right? But uh, I remember Tyler not being the same. And he's kind of the catalyst when it comes to this pass game because he does a little bit of everything. He goes inside, he goes outside. DK can do the same, but Tyler has more experience rotating from slot and outside. And if you're not able to have that guy that you can go to on third downs, third and short, somebody you know that's going to be in the right spot to get things going, it it makes you kind of second-guess your throws. And I think we saw some of that against the Arizona Cardinals deep in the season or, or in the middle of the season when – Russell just didn't seem confident in what he was seeing and he, who he was throwing the ball to. So if you have a guy like Tyler Lockett and he's not healthy, um, I think you're still able to, to get things done, to be an explosive offense, but it just isn't the same. You know, It makes your thought process a little different if you're Russell Wilson uh, because you just don't have that security blanket. Guys are able to step in and have his offense go, but there's nothing like having number 16 out there because you know that if things break down, especially – He's going to be able to get in that scramble drill and make things happen for you. Question two. All right, Bump. Seattle ranked seventh last year in games lost to injury. So pretty good measurement that that I'd like to look at. And I don't know if it tells you how healthy a team is going to be in the future. But what's important is Seattle still won 12 games and the division despite ranking seventh in that. They were the only team in the top ten of that category of the most injured teams that made the playoffs that should make us feel pretty good right that seattle had all of that success in spite of relatively speaking having bad injury luck 
Yeah, that's that's a good thing, right? In football, someone's going to get hurt. It's not a matter of when you're going to get hurt. Excuse me, if you're going to get hurt, it's a matter of when you're going you're to get hurt. And unfortunately, the Hawks kind of had a bunch of that last year. So the fact that they were still able to win games just lets you know that guys are preparing. They're not just sitting in the film room indulging off when the ones and the twos are up. Um, the twos and the threes are paying attention as well. And now the coaching staff are getting these guys ready too. So it's a good feeling when um, a guy can go down. It's never a great feeling when a guy goes down. But if a guy goes down, you can look behind you and get the, the backup in there and really not have to change your game plan. And that's the thing there is a lot of times when starters go down, coordinators are like, all right, well, we can't run this play or we can't run that play. I'm sure some of that happened when guys went down, but not to the extent of other teams. We still saw the same offense, the same defense. We still saw guys be productive. So when you have those two and threes that can step up and fill in, it means they're paying attention. It means that this coaching staff is getting these guys ready as well. Did you get the sense last year, Bump, and you said maybe there wasn't too much of this, that there was any – things specifically that Seattle wasn't able to do down the stretch or in specific parts of the season due to injury? Man, the one injury that kind of hindered them when it came to executing plays they wanted to do, I would just say it's the run game. Whenever you don't have Chris Carson in there, um, you're kind of limited on your expectations when you're running the ball at the A and the B gap and they're low in the box. You got 32 back there. They can have seven guys in the box and you're like, all right, well, he's going to make a couple guys miss. He's going to break a couple tackles and still pick up four to five yards. With the other running backs back there, you just weren't sure if that was going to happen. Carlos Hyde did his best. He had his moments. He made some plays. But after that, I mean, you couldn't count on Rashad Penny because he was banged up. Uh, DJ Dallas was still getting his feet wet. Travis Homer's pretty much the guy in pass protection. Uh, so if there was a position that, that was hurt at times when it came to executing plays because of injuries, it's probably the running back spot. Question three. Bump, there was a great piece put together by Lindsay Theory of ESPN. She covers the Rams for ESPN. It's titled, Why the Sean McVay-Jared Goff Partnership Fell Apart for the Los Angeles Rams. Reading through it, some really interesting tidbits. It sounds like McVay lost his patience with Jared Goff, and to an extent, understandably so, over the course of last year. But the way it was framed or at least seen by others, it feels like maybe McVeigh had a lot to do with, at the very least, Jared Goff's fall and him never being able to pick himself back up. And this led to me thinking about a couple of questions about just coaches in the league. I imagine coaches have a responsibility to communicate with players, which it's clear that Goff and McVeigh, who were apparently talking trash about one another to other people but not talking to themselves, had an issue with. So communicating with players is something that coaches, I would imagine, need to do. But do coaches also need to build players back up after dressing them down? Yeah, most definitely, especially at the quarterback spot, right? I mean, that is your guy. He's your final decision maker on the football field. He's your leader. And you almost can't even break down quarterbacks too much. You know, if you're talking to a running back, a receiver, a linebacker, you can kind of get after them. You can break them down and go a little harder on them because their responsibility isn't as great as the quarterback spot. When you're done with the quarterback, and you, <laughs> unfortunately, you kind of got to cater to their emotions. You got to be honest with them. You have to be real with them and critique them and, and hold them accountable. But at the same time, you got to make sure they're in a space where they can go out on the football field and perform and not feel like um, they have their dad looking over their shoulder waiting for them to make a mistake. 
So if that was the case with Sean McVay and Jared Goff, um, that's unfortunate, man. But you got to say, man, Sean McVay, he also was, was hindering Goff's development. I, don't, I never heard of any other coach staying in the quarterback's ear giving him reads until the final second of communication on the play clock. I mean, there are some things that Sean McVay could have done. There are some things that Jared Goff could have done. And you have to remember, both these guys are young. Everyone wants the young stud um, coordinator and head coach who's going to change the game. But with that comes some growing pains. And I think that a coach like Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, all these veterans in the league kind of understand that, okay, I can only push my quarterback to a certain point before I'm going to lose him. After that, he has to know that I'm in his corner and I'm going to back him up. I think that's a game that Sean McVay and Jared Goff maybe struggled with. I don't think that's going to be an issue with Matthew Stafford. I think Jared Goff in Detroit is going to do better with his emotions because he's learned from the situation. And I think McVay would do better with Stafford because of the situation. It's What interests me is we assume that because Sean McVay is young, and more duly our producer brought this up, we assume kind of because he's young, he's, for lack of a better term, a player's coach or like very relatable to his players. It's it's possible he's really demanding. And that's not wrong. It's just a different style of coaching. And I think most people assume that, like, oh, because he's young and energetic, he's, he's super relatable. And he, he, he might be a tough coach. And that might have been sort of the, the final sort of the final way that he thought he could reach his quarterback was whether it's tough love or just being really, really demanding that the – they he hadn't been able to do it with honey, so he was going to try and do it with uh, with a two by four upside his head, and it it it, it just wasn't going to work. I'll be interested to see. I agree with you. I think the relationship with Stafford will be different. Be interested to see what kind of coach McVeigh turns out to be when he doesn't have the reputation of the young genius. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all about development, right, Danny? We talk about development with players. It's development with coaches too. I got three kids, man. My first kid, I was super strict. Everything's by the book, certain type of food formula. The second kid, you loosen up a bit. By the third kid, you're like, all right, man, I'm going to allow you to make a bunch of these mistakes because I know you're going to be okay. And I'm going to change my coaching style because I've had two guinea pigs before you. You know what I mean? So it's it's all experience, man. And and McVay is developing as a coach as well. So um, I think him being paired with a veteran quarterback is going to help him. Because he's going to get older. He's not always going to be that young offensive coordinator who's changed the game, who seems to be super relatable. At some point, he's going to be the coach who's been in the league 10 years and has had success and has had a veteran quarterback, a rookie quarterback, and has had all these experience. Now, when he gets into situations, whether it be um, game game situations or personnel or dealing with their, his football team, um, he has experience, and he can pull from that, and he can adjust his coaching style just like he does his game planning. So it's all part of development. We talk about players developing. Young coaches, young OCs have to, have to develop as well, and I think we're going to see that. That is Blue 42. Bump, it's great to hear from you today. We're going to look forward to having you back tomorrow as we round out our week. Um, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Bump. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. That is Michael Bumpus appearing on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Blue 42 is brought to you by Frost Brood Coors Light.